Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. This is episode 79, episode 79. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, what's up, buddy? We got uh, we got stuff going on in the Senate. We got votes going on, man. It's been a crazy day today. Yeah, it has been. And I got to say, before we get to the show, happy anniversary to my wife, Josh. It's our 12-year anniversary on Sunday, recording on Friday. It'll be on Sunday. So happy anniversary to my wife, Haley, who I love very much, and is carrying my fourth child. So I got to take good care of her this weekend. Um, but yeah, man, a lot going on. And um, speaking of a lot going on, Josh, let's kind of get this kind of out the way early. I know we had some iTunes reviews we're going to read here in a minute, but don't forget, if you missed last week, um, we had on Ryan Clark with Rodney Strongwine. That first drawing is next Friday, I think, Josh, the 12th. So we'll be drawing next Friday. You need to go ahead and get a rating and review in there. Um, and here, here's why. The sooner you get it in, uh, this show comes out on Monday or Tuesday, so the sooner you get it in, um, last week we had a review we were going to read, but Josh and I got on here to, re- to open it up on Friday, and it was just gone. It's back now. I saw it today. Um, I have no idea why iTunes does that. We look at iTunes um, on our computer. There's no special sauce or ingredients. It's, it's all the same. But the other thing is, we are trying to get on um, Senator Cruz and Congressman O'Rourke to talk about the election. I don't know if they want to smoke, Josh. I don't know if they're ready to step into the fire, but we're going to reach out to them, see if we can get them on. This show is currently ranked, depends on the day, it's, it's, it's a top 100 business news podcast. Ratings and reviews really help us get up there, and to get on guests like that, to talk about the issues from Texel and Gas, we're not going to talk to them about healthcare or anything like that. We're talking to them about landowners' rights, healthcare, uh, not healthcare, oil and gas, energy issues. Um, you're not going to get that anywhere else. You can get it on this show. Um, so five-star rating, five-star review. Uh, you get a chance to win the wine basket, but you also get the chance to hopefully get a guest on like that. Um, they would come and give us you know, 15, 20 minutes of their time, and uh, Josh and I can put them in the hot seat and talk about things that hopefully you guys care about. So it really, really helps. Get all your friends and all your families and uh, coworkers, five-star rating, five-star review. It really helps. And you might want a free get wine, uh, wine gift basket or the VIP tour. Um, again, you can go check out se- episode 78, Ryan Clark, talking about all of that. So thank you for those who have done it. Um, the more we can get, um, hopefully we can climb a little higher. Maybe We've been top 50, Josh, but uh, if we can stay top 50, top 20, even get that top 10, uh, that would be pretty cool. So we really appreciate what you, what you guys have done so far. Uh, keep it up, and we're going to try to get Cruz and O'Rourke on, and uh, not at the same time, separately, and uh, talk to them about energy issues, stuff that we think is critically important to the great state of Texas and our, um, obviously our surrounding neighbors. As a U.S. senator, they would have impact on that as well. Uh, you mentioned there's two reviews that came in, Ryan. I'm looking at them right now. We have uh, two that came in that showed that they were posted on October 3rd. I like you said, that one came like a week before and it disappeared. So uh, it's a little fishy uh, how the those reviews are posted. But one of the reviews to you, um, the the last one that came in was Kamima CG, uh, Kamima CG, and uh, the her her review or his review is that her, his or her? That we theirs. We're not sure. We're we don't theirs. Know. Okay. Yeah, we're, not, we're not sure. We're not sure who who it is. So we apologize. 
Uh, thanks for your great podcast, guys. It's a great way to stay informed each week. It's been very educational for me personally. This week's interview with Eric Waters was especially timely. He really understands water and the need for monitoring and real-time visibility of the data around There's a lot of misinformation about water in the oil field, and it's nice to hear from someone that's an industry expert. I hope you have him back on the show sooner than six months. Well, we'll do our best. Uh, you know, that, that, that podcast has actually gotten some pretty good uh, yeah, you know, reviews. Got good, some good feedback. A lot of good feedback. Uh, second second review, Ryan, is just drilling. Uh, really enjoy all the show topics regarding the oil and gas industry and how much it helps both longtime industry professionals and young professionals stay up to date with industry. Great job, guys. So thanks a lot, both of you, for uh, for the review. And uh, no, we, we, you'll be in. We have one more, don't we, Josh? Will Morehouse? <laughs> we, I don't think we've read Will Morehouse's on here. I think that was the one that was gone last week. I'll read it. Just, no, no, just, no, 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 no. I'll read it just to be safe. Case Will, you're gonna get a you'll get a second shout out because Josh is trying to trying to cut you off here. But just to be safe, I'll read out Will Morehouse's. He said, "There's no better way to learn all the relevant news of the Texas oil and gas industry." Josh Ryan and sometimes Landon, which is the greatest thing ever, couldn't be better. Host, keep up the good work. Uh, good work. That is Will Morehouse with. Uh, jcam catalyst inc that's j-a-c-a-m catalyst inc so go check out will and those folks over there i don't think we read that josh um i just want to make sure it got read if we did we got it again so double shout out for will because he dropped the land in the line oh yeah i like the land in line yeah that was uh that's beautiful yeah and and uh, um, so whoever whoever hit that second line on the landing was was the best i have to say man he, oh, he snuck one in oh patrick moreland don't get me started on patrick he's banned from the show <laughs> well ryan we have uh we got a lot of news coming out this week we um three we have three articles that are kind of circulating around this mexico canada uh united states trade deal it's kind of an american trade deal where uh you know mexico they recently had a new president that came in i forget his name but we were worried about some of that Overdor. stifling Overdor, yeah so we were worried about that stifling some of the deals that Texas and other uh, southern parts of the United States were working with Mexico. There's, I mean, some major deals that were in the works, and we were, uh, we were, wondering, you know, how, how it was all going to work out. So we've gotten some good news with the trade deal. I don't, I don't say, I wouldn't say that I'm totally confident that it's going to all work pipelines and stuff they were talking about, but it looks like it's at least moving in the right direction. Um, the the trade deal should help uh, oil and gas industry in in general and. Texas specifically. So uh, pretty good news. The first article we have, Ryan, is from the Houston Chronicle. And in this article, they detail some of the um, some of the trade that's going to be going on. It's going to be tariff free, a uh, certain amount. So from the Canada side, it's going to have a lot to do with auto. But from the Mexico side, it's going to have a lot to do with some of the energy. So, uh, Ryan, I mean, in, in, in your world, when you've been talking, has this been something that's been pretty big on uh, on your other podcast with Ellen or is it something y'all discussed in at length at all? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be interested to see the 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 response to the, the to the new NAFTA agreement. Um, Ellen and I didn't talk about this past week, but I know that uh, Markham Hislop up in Canada was kind of frustrated with Trump and um, you know kind of his his take on what was going on there. And so I think it's kind of early to you know I know there's a lot of excitement and it's one of those things. Well, it looks you know some people are excited, some people aren't. So we're gonna have to, to kind of take it, um, you know. Uh, month by month, or whatever the case would be, to kind of see how everything plays out. Um, you know, as we know that these uh, these agreements get done, and you know, the president obviously in this case, you know, decided to renegotiate it. So, you know, if, if Trump doesn't stay in office, 
and in 2020 or 2021, whatever the transition would be, and someone else was there, you know, would the agreement stay? You know, and so you got all these kind of things to worry about. Um, but I think for right now, it's probably a step in the right direction. Um, you know, the uh, what I found interesting is you pulled up this 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 piece from um, the LA Times. It says big oil big oil and gas companies are winners in Trump's new trade deal. And I, we talk about the narrative against oil and gas, and this is part of the problem. Okay, you can say big oil and gas are, are winners, but that means the American people are winners. And I don't think the LA Times people realize that paper um, comes from trees, and you got to have gas and diesel to make that, or this internet computer. So I don't think they figured all that out yet in LA. But we'll, we'll, we'll send them a note. But um, so I don't like the way it's kind of phrased that big oil is winner. I get what they're saying, but also it's good for the American people, um, as we talked. You know, we're very much free market economists, um, uh, free market economy type guys. And so um, allowing the market to work, we'll see how much NAFTA impacts the market. Um, sometimes these deals are good, sometimes they're not. And uh, we'll go from there. But the other thing, Josh, as you mentioned, we got a lot of good news this week, was um, was about um, from, the, from the Dallas Fed as well, talking about how strong the oil and gas industry was in Texas and Louisiana. And I, I think that when we look at everything that's going on right now, we are doing very well, and it's probably better than what some of these numbers indicate because, as we talked about before, and it's good to kind of remind ourselves and listeners, these numbers, um, if you look up with the Dallas Fed, the Dallas Fed surveyed 171 energy companies between September 12th and 20th, uh, 110 which were exploration and production firms, and the, and the other 61 were oil and gas service companies. Um, that's a very, very small sample size. I mean, you're talking 171 energy companies. That's a very small sampling size. And as we talked about multiple times, you got truckers. You know, Bucky's gas station gets a gets a big bump because of this, or pilot gas stations. There's all kinds of things going on right now. Business is good, and I think it's going to be better. Um, I don't want to say through next year or not, because I don't know. There's some stuff. But I think it's going to be good through the rest of the year, and uh, I think the first part of next year should be good as well. Somebody say Bucky's. Bucky's baby, Bucky's. You gotta, <laughs> gotta love Bucky's, don't you? Yeah, man. Bucky's should sponsor yeah, the well, show. That's Bucky's. If you're listening, you need to sponsor the show. Hopefully, the owner's listening. He'll realize that uh, we're the source of his success. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Ryan, there's also some news that came out with some of the sanctions that have uh, been introduced on Iran. Uh, there, there, you know, there's been a lot of talks going on with Iran, OPEC, and some of the some of the what's going on there. What they're wondering now, Ryan, is is will OPEC be able to handle some of the shortage? Will they be able to to, to come in and, and step up some of the supply to fill in some of these gaps? And I mean, they're not sure they can do it. Venezuela's looking you know pretty terrible, and with some of these uh, sanctions that are in place, I'm just wondering. Uh, if if the market in the United States might be better for you know maybe even a little longer than uh, you know the first second quarter next year it it could be prolonged a pretty good bit. Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, Ellen and I actually talked about Venezuela some on the podcast, uh, Energy Week podcast this week. It was interesting. It they had an article from Bloomberg and it's like what minimum minimum wage or uh, standard wage or whatever it was in Venezuela is up three thousand percent. Um, but inflation <laughs> is up 111,000. That's a six-digit increase in inflation. Think about how crazy that is in Venezuela. Mm. So it's just, it's just terrible what's going on down there. Um, here's the deal with the, the sanctions in Iran. Um, essentially, what the U.S. is wanting is the U.S. – I say the U.S. What Trump, I think, is wanting us, um, specifically is probably for the Saudis to take over – a lot of the oil contracts that Iran Iran has in place. Um, 
Ellen thinks that maybe they want he actually wants them to even flood the market to drive down prices. To me, this is a misstep on Trump's part. A couple reasons here. First off, Iran is part of OPEC. So when you know when he criticizes OPEC for not being able to meet the demand, well, Iran is part of OPEC. So and I'm not saying he should or shouldn't be in the in the um, in the OPEC in the Iran agreement. That, that's a different discussion. But it's just kind of funny. He's criticizing people he's sanctioning. So it's like, hey, get it together while we sanction you. Um, but the other thing is, if if I was Trump. His, I think his fear is that gasoline prices are going to rise and it's going to impact the midterm elections because people are going to go, Republicans are in, midterms, uh, midterms are up, we're going to vote for Democrats to lower down gas prices. Well, none of them buffoons impact the gas prices unless they're going to put some kind of restrictions on drilling in the U.S. So if I was Trump, what I would come out and say is I would champion how well the economy's doing and how many jobs he's creating because he talks about the economy very often. So regardless of what happens in Iran, I would talk about how great this is for the U.S. producers, all these ancillary jobs we just got through talking about, and I would really hammer home that point because let's just say for a second he gets his wish, and let's just say that um, I, uh, the Saudis can flood the market and they can drop it as much as uh, let's just say $15 a barrel and it goes down to I don't know what WTI is at today um, I can pull it up but it goes down and we're, we're back around oh let's see here right now we're at 74 so if we dropped it 15 you know you're back into the 60s well that's not bad but it's not 74 Right, and so I think some, you know, so you probably see a little cutback, a little trimming of the fat, like we talked about, happens. Um, well, a lot of his base are the are people in the oil and gas industry. So for me, if I was Trump and I was looking at all this stuff, you there's it. It feels like he's trying to play this game where he's on some level he's directly responsible for the rising oil prices because of the sanctions of Iran. Again, I'm not saying he should or shouldn't do that. I'm just it's just kind of a fact of, the, of 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 what he's doing. So he's causing the prices to rise and then on the other side he's coming over and saying that OPEC, which Iran's part of, specifically the Saudis need to fix the problem. If it was me, I would say, "Wow. People can, you know, people are getting jobs. The industry is good." Things are great. We're going to be churning out our exports as U.S. producers. Banks should be loaning money monies to uh, producers on the Permian or the Scoop and Stack or the Balkan or insert play here. I would really be championing that. Um, if I was President Trump or if I was one of his advisors, I would be telling him to champion that because that's part of the reality. And there's, there, you're not lying when you say that either. I mean, these these are good numbers for oil gas, uh, U.S. oil gas producers. So I, I think that right now when you look at this, Will the will it climb to a hundred? Obviously, no one knows. Um, you know, if, you know. I, there's, you know, when you read some of these headlines about, and, and I'll just kind of leave it with this: when you read some of these headlines um, about where oil prices will go, they're very heavy with caveats. If this happens, and that happens, and this happens, then it can get there. So. Um, again, I would just say that if I was Trump, I would really emphasize the economy. I would emphasize how good it is for American producers. Uh, $70 oil is a great is a great price for U.S. producers. Let's be thankful and um, not go to war, figuratively speaking, um, with OPEC or the Saudis. Uh, because, you know, Josh, if I was the Saudis, if I was the Saudis, I would just wake up and say, uh, yeah, we're not going to sell oil to the U.S. anymore. That just, just, just saying that one statement would send prices so high um, because the traders would wig out that it would probably cripple uh, 
Trump's midterm elections with the Republicans. So I think he's walking a fine line here. Um, will the Saudis actually ever come and say that? I have no idea. But if, if I was trying to bargain, if I was on there, if, if I was them and I was trying to walk a hard line with Trump, I'd say, okay, we're not going to send you guys oil anymore. We're going to cut production 200%. Something like that. That would shoot the prices up. Gasoline prices would go out the roof. People would be afraid of shortages. And that would backfire against Trump. So that's kind of a long winded thought on all of that. Well, yeah, I think. Um... I mean, I think you're right, Ryan. I think that he he is he is um, if they do fire back, and that's been the risk. I think he's he's running, you know, what he's doing with China and what he's doing with Iran. I mean, he's he's taking a risk that if if uh, if either of the other side gets to the point where they just say, you know, they get frustrated and just say, forget that, uh, it's gonna it's not gonna be good for him. I mean, he, he's he's I guess he's always been that way, though, right? He's always he's always played a. Shoot or shoot, man. Shoot or shoot. I mean, so I I, I guess, obviously, he's very good at business. I'm not saying, hey, I got got it figured out and he doesn't. I'm just thinking that I think that um, this would be a great opportunity for him to champion U.S. energy production and to focus on that instead of, I mean, instead of focusing on the Iranian sanctions. I mean, we get into political strategy and stuff, but you know, you, you gotta think if you were an op, if you were a, a Democrat right now, you would be hammering Trump, saying that he's causing the gas prices, and then Trump would say, "No, it's OPEC," and then you'd say, "No, Iran's part of OPEC," and, you know, and, and so um, you would really, because the Democrats, you know, obviously were against pulling out of the Iran deal. So um, he's been able to navigate that stream so far, but he's kind of playing with fire. The final thing I'll say is um, there is a port, report from the. IEA, not the EIA, but the IEA, talking about petrochemicals and how that will impact oil demand um, moving forward. The, the, the thing we have to remember about prices is obviously supply and demand. Very simple. Um, one of the things that they're speculating is that, con, comp- and I'll quote them, petrochemicals components derived from oil and gas that are used in all sorts of deadly products such as plastics, fertilizers, packaging, clothing, digital devices, medical equipment, detergents, and tires are becoming the largest drivers of global oil demand in front of cars and planes and trucks. Uh, this is according to a study. We need to send that to the LA Times so they understand uh, why big oil wind is important. But anyways, um, so you, one of the things when you read like these, you know, prices may shoot up and um, long-term oil, oil and gas forecasts, they're kind of basing on on stuff like this. These projections are 2030, 2050, and what they think is going to happen there. Um, really smart people doing that. But I just want to say, when you look at the the people saying it's going to hit 100. Or in 2050, it's going to be this. It's based upon these these factors that are at, at, that, that no one knows. We don't know how fast the African economy is going to grow. You know, um, is it going to be slow and stifled over the next 20 years, or will we see Africa as a continent kind of come together, um, the various nations, and all of a sudden really kind of emerge and become closer to a first world society? Same thing with even South America. Um, so. Just keep that in mind. When you read the $100 headline or read the long-term forecast, it's really based upon these things. And I'm not mad at them for doing it, but you just kind of understand what you're reading is that it's uh, it's based upon projections that you don't know if they're going to happen or not. Yeah, you know, Ryan, and uh, that's one thing about all this is that, it, like you said, I mean, uh, that there are you know three or four dominoes that have to fall, that have to, you know, exactly have to, th- things have to go in a, a very specific in order for any of these predictions to even be remotely, um, remotely correct. So I think you're right there. And there's another article, Ryan, that I think might, uh, that it was this article that says dry gas pursuant returns in Eagleford shale. So, uh, dry gas from 
the research that I've been doing hasn't been something that we've discussed very much, right. Ryan. So yeah, um, I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering what you know some of these plays you think coming out of the fact that there's a lack of uh, uh, supply supply lines permian, or is this something that's just totally separate? Yeah. So here's what's going on with dry gas. Um, we had on the chief economist for the American Petroleum Institute on Energy Week, and I want to talk about this because for some of our listeners don't listen to that show. But and and here's what he told us on that show. Basically, he said that um, over the past I don't remember what it was five seven years that producers that, that specialize in dry gas or work in dry gas areas have gotten down their break even cost to about two dollars. Which means, you know, price right now for um, gas, let's see here, is three dollars. Uh, th- uh, yeah, this over three dollars. Okay, so they've got break even at two dollars. And his point was is that they don't expect because we have so much dry gas that we don't. They don't expect to see any long any bump in. Um, in the in the price to send it to five or six dollars that it would take you know, catastrophic type things that you can't even imagine to happen. So I think that we're going to see, and we've probably already been seeing, Josh, is just probably not getting a lot of the headlines, that there's probably going to be a resurgence in dry gas, um, not a boom, because a boom would could drive it down you know, below two, but a resurgence where companies start looking at it going, you know what, if we can be profitable at two, the demand for, for natural gas should continue to increase. Um, it's cheap, and we can break even at two, um, you know, this might be something where companies start to look at um, it, because if the API is right, that they're that that bought. So is it, let me step back. What we're saying here is different. What we're saying before. Before they're saying that the prices could shoot up. Um, these are long-term projections. What the API is saying is is that we have so much gas that when you run the crazy models, you can't even get the price to jump up. So it's kind of an opposite thing. On one side, you're saying, well, it could jump up because of all these things that might happen. The API, on the other hand, is saying, hey, um, I don't want to speak for them, but kind of reading through the weeds here, um, if you run the crazy scenarios, it still doesn't change it. And so I I think that you might see companies step back and go, you know what? Oil hasn't balanced itself out. It's still volatile. It probably will be volatile for a long time. Up, you know, boom bust cycles. But natural gas, it's kind of, it's kind of in a sweet spot now. And if we can kind of ride those waves and pick up some natural gas acreage and develop that acreage, and the price stays around three, we can make a good profit. So um, I, I found that very interesting. I haven't heard a lot of talk about that. I was really stunned um, when he said that that that, 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 that their research is at two dollars is kind of the break even for a lot of producers. Prices probably won't get above four. Stay between two fifty and four. Um, that's a big, that's a big thing. We might see Josh companies that go, you know what, I'm gonna get out of the oil business, or I'm gonna diversify and you know and lower my oil portfolio to focus on the dry gas. Um, and so that's an interesting trend that we should probably start watching um, over the next year or two. Yeah, I mean that that's really good margins. Looks like it's long term safe margins. Uh, you know, from from what I can tell. Yeah, as long as you don't have a big boom um, where people, um, um, as long as you don't have a big boom where people, you know, flood it and all of a sudden everyone's drilling it down, you know, and that's what I'm saying. And I, I think because there there isn't the potential for a huge upswing with oil, you have a potential for a huge upswing. You can go from fifty to seventy, right? And what they're yeah. saying is with natural gas, they just don't see how you can get that high. You might get to four, uh, but but then you drill it down pretty fast because we have so much natural gas. Um, and so whether so, if you're looking at oil, you're kind of looking at oil, going, "Wow, you could have, you could see a nice big swing up, 
or a big swing down, which means that there's a lot more people, you know, if you're, if you're a risky type person, you're going to go in there and say, hey, here we go. Um, with natural gas, what they're saying is it, 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 it could bump up. It could definitely bump up, but we could drill it down so fast that it would, you know, it wouldn't behoove you to go out there and just be crazy drilling on natural gas. Mm. Well, Ryan, there's a, a couple things wanted to, to go over. This is a, the Texas Roundup. We want to just hit a couple of the high points from deals that have been done, your acquisitions, news. Uh, we have uh, sometimes our statistics and we do reports. Sometimes we get it from the EIA. Sometimes we get it from other sources, Ryan. There is a article that came out from yourbasin.com that talks about the tech oil and gas production statistics. Now, these statistics are preliminary, uh, so they're subject to change over the next couple of weeks, maybe month or so. Uh, but what they do is they show us uh, some of the, some of the statistics for July this year, um, and I mean there's some interesting numbers in there. Just looking at, at uh, some of the drilling barrels of crude oil uh, last year in 2017 in July they were at 75,000. This year they were at 93,000. So uh, you can see some pretty big pretty big jumps, uh, big jump in uh, in gas as well. So um, lots of lots of good numbers in there. If anybody wants to go and check out to see how the economy or the industry itself in Texas year over year, uh, really good comparisons there. And then uh, we had some news, Ryan, for a company called Trace Midstream. They're the Eagle for Shell. They announced they uh, have received equity commitments in excess of 200 million from Quantity uh, Quantum Energy Partners. So. Uh, midstream moving into the Eagleford. We predicted that we're going to see more companies doing this over the next six months, you know, especially um, as we start to approach, uh, you know, next year where companies will probably start to plan to make moves going back to the Permian. Uh, but for now, we're expecting more deals to not only be made in the Eagleford, for a lot of the companies that are in the Eagleford to switch gears and try to capitalize on those investments. Oracle uh, announces an option to acquire oil and gas assets in the Eagleford in South Texas. So uh, another company doing doing the same thing as, uh, as this Trace Midstream. So they are, let's see, they have an agreement that was dated back in May, uh, May 19th of 2018 with the mineral rights owners in the Eagleford. Uh, and it looks like they are pursuant to the amendment exercise period for the option has been extended to January 15th, 2019 have their eye on that on that date that we just mentioned run and then the last one I have here this article is, is something that I was you know just curious to see how this is going to play out it's uh it's from the oil and gas 360.com it says man will need 300 billion dollars over the next five years to maintain growth 300 billion dollars over the next five years to maintain growth so they're saying that that this is going to add about three million barrels of oil production by 2023. And it will uh, it would fund the drilling function of 41,000 new oil wells. Uh, so I, what what they're doing is just I guess counting up the cost of what it would take to get these oil wells in service where they're actually working producing oil. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they came up with those numbers. They didn't detail that, but um, I'm going to link this in the show notes if you want to do some follow up and uh, and take a look. It's certainly something worth looking at. Yeah, it's interesting because you know I was talking to David Blackman this week, and uh, you remember the article is either from him or from somewhere else. We talked about the the, the capacity issue and how it's you know it's a, it's a hundred thousand barrels a day is how close it is right now, but next year it's gonna be with like two million barrel access. And so I was talking to him about that, and uh, you know he we're trying to get back on the show, and he's just been busy unfortunately, but um, he should come on soon. We'll, we'll talk about that more. I did find this interesting as well, Josh, because. 
um, you're going to have two million, I think it's two million, but two million excess barrel capacity and pipeline um, next year. And so when you sit back and you look at that, you know, you are going to want to see producers, you know, come online and get ready to drill um, to, to fill that capacity up, right? Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out with the oil prices, with the Iranian sanctions, um, with the global demand, all this type of stuff. It is interesting to see, but um, $300 billion over the next five years, I, I would be curious to see, um, you know, if, if the prices stay up. I'm going to guess that number is going to be low. I'm just going to guess that number is going to be low. Um, because as we see the, you know, acreage, when it gets sold, the prices continue to rise, continue to rise, continue to rise. At some point, you kind of have to have the market reset itself or it's just going to go absolutely insane. So, uh, but it, it is interesting. And I did want to mention that we're, we're trying to get David on hopefully here. Uh, we got two guests on next week, I think, Josh. And then I don't know if we have anybody after that, but maybe we can get uh, David on here next couple of weeks to talk about all the stuff he's been covering over at Forbes. Yeah, he's, uh, in the times I've talked to him, he's very knowledgeable about some of the political aspects, some of the trade deals and taxes mm-hmm. and tax mm-hmm. reform. And, uh, so yeah, it would be great to get him on, uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks to talk about some of the things going on. Uh, but Ryan, I think, I think that covers everything, man. I know we have the rig count coming up today. I've been, uh, I've been going to look at it and it looks like we're exactly where we were a month ago. Uh, one short, 1,165. Uh, so it's up from last week, 1%, which, uh, which is not too much, but, uh, it looks like we, you know, through the month of September, it kind of dipped down in the mid middle of the month and it's back up to where it was. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of David, I saw him tweet out something this week about international rig count might jump up to 1100 or something like that. And he's like, yeah, that's what we got in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what the I think maybe maybe it's just the U.S. or it's Texas and New Mexico or something like that. But yeah, we had more rigs here than they do in the uh, in the in the current international market. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, that's nuts. We're doing it, man. Texas is it's it's uh, man. I can't wait to see the the pipelines come you know to activate and start servicing. Yeah, yeah, get everything flowing. And uh, real quick, Josh, we haven't plugged this in a while, but if you want to contact the show, 318-599-9192. Be sure to hit us up, 318-599-9192. Just make sure you say it's for the Text Long Gas Podcast. You can call and leave a voicemail, or you can send a text message to that number. Also, please, please, please take just a few seconds and leave us a rating and review in iTunes. Five stars is all we accept. I know we have a few four stars in there, but five stars is all we accept. Um, and if you know someone with Senator Cruz's camp or uh, Congressman O'Rourke's, holler at your boy because they're welcome to come on. Uh, that We only have how many shows before that comes out? We've got one, two, three, four, five, four, more, four more shows before that comes out. Now, we, we will do a special episode or something if they want to come on and and all that, but um, so if you happen to work on those campaigns or close to them, um, you know, um, I, I will say this: I put this out on LinkedIn the other day, and kind of the response was is people felt like Senator Cruz would come on, but uh, Congressman O'Rourke wouldn't come on. Um, I mean, I have no idea. They're both welcome to come on the show and talk about energy issues, and I think that the, I think it's I think it's important because uh, you know. Energy issues are important. Landowner rights are important. All those things we talk about on the show are important. And so um, you're running for a senator for the great state of Texas. You need to come talk to the two the two big dogs over here at the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. Yeah, man. I would 
so excited if we could get uh, get those two on. It would be it would be fantastic. You know, we had uh, Weston Martinez on a while back when we you know he was running for Texas Railroad Commission, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that was a great great turnout. Great, uh, we got great feedback from our listeners, and, uh, and they really appreciate it. So, and you know, um, I don't know if you voted for Weston or not, or whatever. I don't really care. I will say this: credit to Weston because he came on and he came on twice. The first time the, the recording got messed up. Um, but he never made us submit a single question. He just said he'd come on and he, and he went, uh, you know, kind of really stepped into the fire. I don't think Josh, I don't think, uh, Senator Cruz or O'Rourke will come on without a little scripted question. So, but, uh, if they would, that would be nice. I would like them to come on just ready to, ready to duke it out. So, yeah, I don't think that. <laughs> I don't think they would either. All right, Josh. Well, anything else before we get out of here today, buddy? Uh, I think that's it, man. We hit the Rick count. We got the roundup. Uh, we talked about uh, the strong wine, and then yeah, uh, strong wine. I think that, the strong wine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, again, rating review. Or contact the show, 318-599-9192. You can always connect with me on LinkedIn by searching my name. I'm there. People message me, connect with me, look me up. I would love to connect with you. And until next time, keep climbing.